we didn't own the property. So what we did is we contractually agreed with the owner of the property that we will take full control of the property and pay them a fixed fee every single month. Mm. Now, straight after we agreed that, we then made modifications to the property that we made them aware of. We invested our own money to do that. But then because we had made those modifications, we were able to rent the property at a substantially higher revenue rate. So just mm. to give you some numbers, we were paying 2300 every month to the landlord of the property. But we were generating 4400 every single month on the property. And it's a property mm. we don't even own. So wow. when you're paying 2300 to a landlord, when you're paying seven, eight hundred pounds in bills and you're walking away with 1,200, 1,300 from a property you don't even own, you can very quickly see how you don't need 30 of these properties to replace your income. You only mm -hmm. now need three, four or five, or if you're on six figures, maybe seven at best. Uh, uh, I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I met my boy, David E. Simons, yeah. I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I met my boy, David E. Simons, yeah. Discover my gift, yeah, yeah. Discover my gift, yeah, yeah. But David E. Simons. Welcome to another episode of How I Discovered My Gift with yours truly, David D. Simons. I'm honored and delighted to have today's guest on the show, Samuel I Can Win. He is known as the go-to person to help part-time property people who have found themselves over-leveraged and living with a limited lifestyle, causing them to be unable to leave a lasting legacy. With over 18 years of property, real estate, and teaching experience, he is now on a mission to train others on the power of property, cash flow creation, and how to truly create a legacy that's lasting. Samuel is a passionate, driven entrepreneur with expertise in frameworks required to build consistent cash flow uh, properties, um, how to understand the systems, mindset, and infrastructure behind cash flow creation, when to know the difference between buying and burning cash flow, power of focusing on the right revenue return and rules, how to initiate cash flow creation investment models, and the math it takes to create it, make sure you have a great portfolio. And lastly, how to maximize revenue to go from consistent to colossal cash flow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for the invitation. It's a divine pleasure to literally be here and to be able to add value to your community as well. So thank you for having me. Love it. Love it. So Samuel, from the bit that I know that intrigued me about your story, uh, you were working a full-time job and uh, also having a property on the side, uh, investment property on the side. And it seems like your wife was going through a tough time at her job in the, in the elementary or the school, school era um, arena. And, and you just were frustrated by her frustration and seeing them take advantage of her. And you said, you know what, I'm going to get her off this job. And and that propelled you into what you are doing today. So I kind of just want to give listeners a little background just from from what I've what I've studied on you. And and uh, uh, if you could kind of just I know we're starting at a weird spot. We'll come back to the beginning. But 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 uh, if you could like that's powerful, man, that, that was your was that, that was your motivation and drive. 100% and it's it's exciting David like I'm literally sitting there getting excited just listening to where you decided for us to start from because like I don't think I've ever been interviewed and we started there and I, I think that snippet of life is so powerful and potent as a foundation because you, you got it spot on like I was frustrated about my wife's frustration so my wife used to work as a primary school teacher I used to work as a secondary and A-level maths teacher so to those of you in the US, that's kind of like high school going into the first couple of years of college. Um, and my wife was going through some interesting experience at work. So she had a mentor. She was a trainee teacher. She had a mentor. The mentor is supposed to sign off, you know, every time they have a meeting with you. And for some reason, this mentor never had any meetings with my wife. So because she never had any meetings with her, my wife assumed that obviously nothing was getting signed. 
and she just assumed that you know one day they'd end up having a meeting at some point in the academic year long story short um my wife then requested for some support additional support she was told her mentor was going to be changed and then when she went to get that whole change of mentor she ended up finding documents or seeing documents with the new mentor which had her signature on from meetings with the old mentor and she was like well i never signed anything because i never had any meetings now you know schools generally are regulated by the government so right. if you're in a school and you got people like falsifying information like like literally forging signatures that's a big kind of like telltale sign so this resulted in my wife going through like a whole bunch of scenarios just basically dealing with stress like mainstream stress and i was coming home each day seeing my wife come home each day and wondering like how long is it gonna be that i'm gonna be frustrated seeing how much my wife is frustrated so the key mm. for me was to what we what we help people do now anyway but the key for me was to help my wife sack her boss it was all about sacking my spouse's boss like for me you know creating cash flow becoming financially free financial independence all of these buzzwords we use none of that for me was about money none of that for me was about lifestyle or leverage or legacy it wasn't about that at the start for me it was literally just about alleviating alleviating the, fr the frustration that i had seeing my wife being so frustrated so yeah that's, that's that's a powerful snippet but yeah that's where that's where we really got the juices flowing dude that's amazing that's amazing it must it must show the love you have for your wife right because if, if that if that affects you so much to the point it drives you to that like uh, how long you guys been married how, how you know what awesome so this this year we're going to be celebrating our 11th year of of marriage so we just went past 10 years last year and it's powerful you asked the question or, or alluded to that david about the love for my wife i think like one of the things that's interesting i think everybody has a level of love for something in their life mm -hmm. and what we have to understand is everybody who has a level of love for the thing in their life that thing has generally a limit mm -hmm. so it doesn't matter like when i when i rewind the table all the way back to when i was young like i watched my mom for example be made redundant she worked for 15 years for a bank in central london and one day she came home and said her name was on the list like they decided to get rid of her and i looked at my mom and watched my mom for the next couple of months struggle to try to sell her house with speed and that was kind of really for me probably my first insight into the whole real estate and property field just literally watching my mom struggle and it was at that time that again maybe i saw the limit on someone i love which led me to have to leverage and, and do more and i think nine times out of ten you know there's usually two ways that we end up producing results one of those ways is because we see the limits on the people that we love sometimes we see the limits on ourselves and then the second way is that we literally know that we want to increase our own limit so you know in psychology they call that a way and towards motivation so whether it's mm -hmm. you want to get out of some scenario some situation or whether you want to get towards some scenario some situation they're the only two kinds of motivation so it's powerful hearing wow. you share that as well Wow, brother. Wow. I love it. I love it. Uh, towards and away. T so take us back. You were, you were on that track there. Take us through the journey of, of a young Samuel um, and just that process of becoming who you are today and take us from there all the way up to today. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, you know, I, I guess, you know, so synergistic with the name of the podcast, like there was a lot of discovery points. And I think one of the things that's important is for everyone to understand that discovery in a lifetime is not always about a singular moment. So the interesting thing for me is like, as I was sharing earlier, 11 years old, I'm watching my mom literally be made redundant. I'm watching her struggle to sell her house and I'm realizing certain things. I'm realizing I have no income. I'm realizing I don't have a job. I'm literally having some great light bulb moments. So let me share with you some of the light bulb moments. Yeah. At the age of six, my dad and my mom decided to get divorced. So five years later, I'm watching my mom, who literally is like single mother, going through financial turmoil because she's been made redundant and not knowing how she's gonna sell her house with speed because she doesn't know how to pay her mortgage, right? Mm. So as I'm watching this as an 11 year old and bearing in mind saying to myself, look, I don't have any income, I can't help my mom. I don't have revenue, I don't have a job, I can't help my mom. A big light bulb turned on for me and unfortunately, and I'm going to share this because we win and we lose in life. Unfortunately, yeah. I didn't manage that light bulb as well as I would have if I if I if I had that light bulb today. Mm -hmm. And that light bulb was this nine to five thing doesn't work. 
-hmm. Now, the reality was, I just realized, looking at my mom, my mom had told me since I was very young, go to school, get a good job. You know, the whole adage we've all heard. Oh, yeah. But now I'm looking at my mom and I'm saying, well, this Wonder Woman, she's gone to school. She's got the great job. She's literally served for 15 years. Like 15 years is a long time of service. And at the drop of a hat, her name's on the list and she's out of here. So I looked at my mom doing it the conventional way. And what I learned as an 11 year old, the big, big light bulb that came on for me was, Samuel, you need to have your revenue in your own hands. Now, unfortunately, mm -hmm. as an 11 year old, without the adequate skill set, tool set, mindset, I wasn't able to create the appropriate asset. And what I did is I went out and looked for the answer, unfortunately, on the streets. And I found other young men, 16 year olds, 18 year olds, driving nice flashy cars. And I said to myself, well, hold on a minute. If the nine to five thing that my mom's doing doesn't work, and my dad, again, I've got a very strong relationship with my dad, always have, but my dad, he had his own business. And my dad wasn't the flashiest of guys. So although he had his own business, I never thought to myself that he was making real revenue with his business. So because of that, my mindset as an 11 year old, fairly probably ignorant, was this normal street doesn't work. This entrepreneurial street doesn't work. So I'm going to have to find a way that works because nobody, nobody wants to live with what doesn't work. So right. this is how I then saw these younger guys committing crimes, making money that way and said, you know what, that's going to be the path for me. And that was the path for me um, for a number of years until, again, some more discovery moments. You know, I celebrated my 18th birthday in prison. Um, that was a discovery moment. And it yeah. wasn't a discovery moment because, oh, I'm in prison. I'm all alone. But there was two real key factors to it. The first one was throughout my prison sentence, for the first time as a young person, I got to actually think without the influence of people who I thought were friends. Mm. So because I was thinking for the first time without the influence of people who I thought were friends, my thoughts were so much more refined. I got to really question what I was thinking. I got mm. to ask myself questions without the interruption of a friend or an acquaintance who's now gonna say, oh, do you wanna smoke this? Or, oh, do you wanna, do you wanna go do this? Or, oh, should we do that? And one of the things I'll share, David, which I think is going to be really rich for those listening and those tuned in is nine times out of 10, what we don't realize is the reason we are on the path we're on is because we've spent more time discovering who we've been than who we're supposed to be. Mm. And I think for me, that was one of the big light bulb moments I had celebrating my 18th birthday in prison. Like, I don't know about you, but most people I know, I envisage at 18 years old, they're having parties. They, you know, they're doing, they're doing, they're doing great stuff to celebrate that kind of transition from youth to adulthood. Like yeah. that wasn't my story. So when I came out of prison, like I had a whole different outlook on life, on how I was really going to change things, um, which then led me to go and try and approach it the traditional way again. So wow, that's powerful. Thank and thank you for sharing, man. I I, I appreciate you sharing that. I can relate to that. Um, I also ended up in prison at eight well not prison in jail at 18 uh for for passing a check and was given uh i had no idea um and ended up getting facing almost facing a felony i didn't have to do the time thankfully i didn't sign the back of the check but I, but i but i know exactly what you're saying when you say discover you know not focus on discover what you've been and and really focusing on discovering who you are and because a lot of people will probably put that label on you. Oh, Samuel, he's done this. This is who he is. You know, right. you are defined by your past. So I am so curious. How did you climb out of that def definition of your past? Because a lot of people don't get over those labels and over those hurdles. That's powerful. So I, like, I'll give you what I call like the ABCs of success. So the first one is attitude. That's A. The B is belief. And then the C is courage. So just to give you this quickly, like in the Bible, we see God speaking to Joshua and he says to Joshua, be of good courage, be strong and be courageous. Now, here's the interesting thing. Most people don't know that they're strong. They don't, they don't, they're not able to mentally assimilate their strength. But when we think about courage, courage is the ability to operate at a level of strength, whether you know you have it or not. So to be courageous, to run to the fight, whether you know you have the artillery or you don't. So the reason I share the ABCs or what I call my ABCs of success is the simple fact that when I was 18, I had a philosophy and I'll, I'll share it with you because I, I think it, it will help to see the foundation of how I was able to, to make that transition. So the philosophy I had is there are criminals and there are people that commit crime. 
okay? And, and, and my prayer, I'm literally going to say this because I've never been in this situation before, but I'm going to say this right now. My prayer is that whoever is listening to this and needs to hear this will be able to translate this, transmit this, and allow this to transform them. So I had this, this and I'm going to say an erroneous philosophy as a child, that there are people that commit crime and there are criminals. And my understanding was a criminal is someone who has devoted their life to crime. They have said, you know what, they are a criminal. Everything they do is going to have some element of criminality to it. Whereas someone who commits a crime is not a criminal. Now, because that was my belief, that infused my attitude and that had a deep, a deep impact on what I would become courageous about. That makes sense, right? Yes. So when I was released from prison at the age of 18, I had a real interesting experience, my encounter, where, where I basically tell people in the simple terms, I believe I was kidnapped from by God. So mm. God literally had me have my experience with him, which caused me to change the page in my life. Mm. But now the rich thing was coming back to your question, like how do you shed off those labels? How do you go forward in true discovery, even though maybe other people have discovered your past? And the, the simple thing for me was, it was all about my attitude, which was infused by my belief, which allowed me to be courageous about things. So mm. my beliefs about myself was that I was made in the image of God. I was not going to be defined by my past. I don't need to be even defined by my present because my actual definition should all come from my purpose. Mm. So when I started realizing that my purpose should be defining who I am, my purpose is what my belief should be centered around. It didn't really matter my background and my history. And I'll give you an example. Here's the funniest thing. I got my first full-time job after I was released from prison. Mm. Okay. And my first full-time job was as an estate agent or to my American audience as a realtor. So mm. I got that job as a 19-year-old with a criminal record because of the fact that my beliefs were not about my past. My belief was about my purpose. And I knew inside of my heart that because of what I'd seen with my mom, that property, real estate had something to do with my purpose. I didn't even know the depth of it. I didn't know it would be what we've been able to amass and produce and create and support other people to create today. But I just knew there was something about property that was was buried in my purpose and I needed to uncover that. So that that's my first full-time job. Now, here's an interesting thing. Most people study one or two degrees. Mm. I studied four degrees hmm. or after I was in prison. So again, this is, this is just like, this is not me saying, you know, hey, you know, celebrate me. But this is me sharing that I was adequately able to propel through means of what is called the traditional route because of my beliefs. My beliefs were about, it's about my purpose. I knew that God had called me in some capacity to teach. I've always had a gift in of being able to take complicated concepts and ideas, constructs and break them down, simplify mm -hmm. them and provide them to other people. Now, obviously, you've got to be able to do that to yourself first before you can share that. But because I always had that gift, I knew that there was some element of teaching and education. So this is why I went back to college and then went back to university after prison. And then from studying my first degree, I then went to study my first master's degree. Then I went to qualify to be a teacher and studied my third degree. And then I went to study my fourth degree, which was a second master's, because I knew that there was, again, I didn't know how deep it was. I didn't know that. I was being called to equip people to be able to use cash flow to replace their revenue or replace their spouse's revenue to sat their spouse's boss or sat their spouse or sat their own boss. I didn't, I didn't know that was part of the calling, but I wow. knew there was something educational in there. So I just went down the educational route. So, wow. What a, what a, a beautiful journey, like the dots, how the dots connect. Um, and if you don't mind, could you, could you go into a little bit, of that encounter you had with God, what, what happened? Let's go. Let's go. Like <laughs> what a rich question. So I, I, I'll give you the condensed version with this, with the key pieces of substance. So that helps people understand exactly how it happened for me. So I was released out of prison shortly after my 18th birthday. Um, and I decided I made a big decision, which was very hard for me, but I made the decision to go and live with my dad. And the reason I, I decided that is because I felt that my mom was not an adequate disciplinarian in order for me to stay away from the things that I had consciously decided in my heart I was going to choose to stay away from. So even though I wanted to stay away from them, I felt if I went back to my mom's house, you know, 
it's already hard enough with your associates. It's already hard enough with all these other things. But then if I did start slipping, I wouldn't ever feel like, oh, you know, mom's mom's gonna mom's gonna stop me. You know, she's gonna physically stop me. So because I felt like that, I went to stay with my dad. I went to live with my dad. And fast forward, it was just literally a couple of weeks after living with my dad. I'm sitting in the front room, in the living room. The TV's on in front of me. And the TV was on for maybe like 20 minutes. And I just started crying. And that was hard for me. Like as a young, young man, I don't think I cried much. And I, I saw a lot of interesting things as a young man. A lot of things that would make most people cry. So, so the fact I was crying was already kind of like, what's happening here? And I just went into what I usually do. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an analyst. So I started analyzing stuff. And I was like, like why am I crying? And I realized the reason I was crying. I, I heard this phrase in my head. I said this to myself. I said, I'm lonely. Mm. Now, the interesting thing is like, if you're a real logical thinker, like I am, whenever you have a thought, there's always a secondary thought that is kind of be like the equal sign or the addition sign or the time sign or the subtraction sign. Mm. And for me, the thought that came to accompany the thought that I said I'm lonely was the Holy Spirit is your comforter. Now, I, I believe that that word was coming directly from God because mm. it had been implanted in me when my mom used to drag me to church as a child. So I believe God was able to use that. Like in the scriptures, the Bible says that the Lord will bring these things to your, your remembrance. And right. one thing I've heard many pastors say, he can't remind you of something he said if you don't know anything he said. So mm. to those of you dads, moms who are, you know, dragging your children to, to church, shout out to you. And even a bigger shout out to those of you who are literally feeding on the daily bread at home, because even if your child doesn't integrate into that today, there's going to be a tomorrow by the grace of God. So I'm 18 years old. I'm sitting down. I'm watching the TV. I start crying. The record, the, 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 the sign belt, signboard in my head is I'm lonely. And then I hear the Holy Spirit is your comforter. And I do the maths. I'm like, hold on a minute. The actual salvation, the actual solution, the actual answer to loneliness is comfort. And I had never done that maths before. I never knew. Like I, I mm. thought the opposite of loneliness would be accompaniment. Like, okay, I'm lonely, so I need someone to be here. But it, it's right. it's not accompaniment, it's comfort. Because wow. there are people who are good. Like, I've been like this for years. There are people who are so good on their own. Why? Because they have a, a level of internal comfort. So mm. what I realized when I heard that phrase, the Holy Spirit is your comforter, I realized that I'd been living life wrong all those days. I'd been living life without the comfort of the comforter. And thus, this is why I was lonely. And that whole buildup of like me shedding tears at the TV... I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to tell you exactly where it came from. It yeah. came from the fact that I just sent, I just spent time in prison. I had done two cent. I had done one sentence. I came out for like good behavior and I then breached my um, probationary license. So I was sent back to prison to finish my sentence. And it was the second time when I was sent back that I celebrated my 18th birthday in prison. So I'm now free. And whilst I was incarcerated, I spent close to no time watching television. Mm. So this, this is why I was crying. I was crying because what I had realized is I'm a free human being. I have all the opportunities ahead of me. I have every choice I desire to make. I can make mm. any decision and take any path I desire to take. However, I'm sitting here watching a television. Whoa. And that's what, that's what caused me to cry. That's like, as an 18 year old young man watching a television, I started to shed tears because I had realized that I have my whole world in front of me. Like many of us do, like every single one yeah. of us do. We have the right. whole world, the whole, every opportunity is ahead of us. Right. And I'm sitting here watching a television. So that is what brought me to tears, which then resulted in me hearing the Holy Spirit is your comforter, which then resulted to me doing that maths. And then finally, at that same day, same time, resulted to me saying to the Lord, Lord, it's all on you. Like I'm, I'm following you 100%. I don't care what it takes. What, what you want me to read, I'm going to read. What you want me to feed on, I'm going to feed. Like just you lead the way, I'm coming with you. So that's that's how how it changed for me. Dude, that's so amazing. And and, and uh, the level of introspection you have as a, as a, obviously as a child from when you were 11, seeing your mom and, and figuring, hey, I can't do certain things to when you're 18 or when you get out and saying, hey, I probably shouldn't go there. I should go to my, like you've had a level of introspection that very few people have, I would say. So that, I mean, that's, that's just, that's phenomenal. Speaking of that, when you look at all of it, 
Samuel, what, what is your most dominant gift? Wow, that's powerful. My most dominant gift, I would say, is to unlock people's purpose and specifically what we use as a vehicle is all of the work we do in property. Mm. So, like, I'm a strong believer and, and, and you know, from the sh shares I've given already about my history, I'm a strong believer that everybody has a seed of purpose locked up within them. And, you know, for most people, they're trying to discover what their purpose is. Now, mm -hmm. you know, we're both very familiar with Dr. Myron Golden, who yeah. teaches people that your purpose is in the intersection of your proficiency and also of your passion. Okay. Now, as any good student would do, you take a concept that a teacher gives you and you look at life and you develop that. And what I've found is that I believe a person's purpose is actually in the intersection of not two areas, but three areas. So that's your passion, the things you're passionate about, the things you are having a zeal about. Like I've always had a zeal around property, right? Mm. Then your proficiency. So I know God created me to teach. He created me to be able to expound on complicated concepts in a simple fashion. So right. that's proficiency. But then there's mm. the third area and that third area is the area of prophecy. Now, mm. this ain't to be like super religious or super spooky, but the reality is when we break it down to prophecy, what is prophecy? Prophecy is just what has God said? That's all it is. <laughs> prophecy is what has God, like that's, that's the simplest. Right. And here's the interesting thing. If we are all created from the unique hand of God, which is why every single one of our hands has a unique sign, our fingerprint, and no two are the same, even with biological twins, mm -hmm. then surely there's something that that unique God has said about the unique you. Ooh. So for me, I believe God has given me the dominant gift to be able to come alongside people and support them to release their fullest potential in line with their purpose. And the vehicle we use currently is the vehicle of property. And the reason why I say the vehicle we use is the vehicle of property is because human beings, we are three part beings. We have a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. Now, once you understand that, you start realizing what God shared with me a number of years ago, that we have to deal with this world in three parts. We have to deal with the arm of the flesh, the natural body instinct part, which relates to our finances, which relates to our bills, which relates to those kind of things, the jobs we do, the work we do. But we've also got to deal with the area of the soul. You know, so I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. At the age of 11, as I watched my mom struggle with her finances and with her property, what many people don't know is I then had to watch my mom deal with mental health issues. And I watched that for a number of years, so much so that three years out of the five years that I was in secondary school or high school, I was going to school as though I had a normal conventional household back at home, but there was no one at home except for my older brother. It's just me and my brother. So I was like 13, 14, 15 years old. And me and my, my older brother are living at home like we're adults whilst my mom was actually in a mental institution, in a, in a, in a hospital trying to get her mental framework and state of mind back in place. So I, I experienced that for three years, having no parent at home and just going to school acting like everything was hunky-dory. Now, what is that? Well, that's an attack on the soul. That's an attack on what I like to think of as your thinker, your feeler, and your chooser. The three areas where we basically make decisions. So that's another area of life we have to deal with. And sometimes when we don't have a handle on that, like I witnessed with my mom all those years ago, that's what you then experience. You then experience what we call mental health concerns, etc. And then obviously mm. the third area is this is the area of the spirit. And I think every human being inside of them is, is longing to be able to manifest and walk out their purpose. And I don't think that's a natural bodily thing. I don't think that's a soulish, you know, idealistic thing. I think that's really a spiritual heartfelt thing where within us, we know we're supposed to be more and we're longing to manifest that more in the world wow dude that's so deep i mean geez like and uh the interest level of introspection you have man about life and just journey i can see you you you've really lived a, a life that you assess things you 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 really study and really get a grasp and a hold of things and i can see that's what makes you also a great teacher um so so you have this gift and and you you're able to utilize it to help people to fulfill their purpose 
how did that manifest before you got into the real estate realm? And we're definitely going to deal with the property. Like, how did, did you, you know, because sometimes you have a gift, right? And, I, and just like myself, you use it in the inverse. You can use it in reverse, right? You're you're doing the the right gift in the wrong way, right? That's so right. Uh, um, there's many people that do that, right? It's the, it's, the, it's the artist that's talented with art, but they're doing graffiti on public property, right? And they could do it on a paper or a canvas, right? So, so, so. My question to you is, when did you start to notice this gifting? And sometimes you don't notice it till going back. But but can you point either when did you notice it or when can you point back to when you started to see it? That's powerful. So I, I'll give you free, free, free kind of epiphanies, free light bulbs for me around this. So the first one was my dad. So one of the strong beliefs I hold is that coaching is the fastest path to success. When I was 19 years old and I got serious like with my life and I was like, no, I'm going to live out the purpose God has for me. Um, I was fortunate to engage with a particular coach and that coach taught a powerful concept. His concept was why take 70 years to learn what you can learn in seven hours by reading a book of someone who had to take 70 years to be able to write the book. So what I learned from that at the age of 19 is that we can literally time walk. Okay, or now the concept we call it is condensed time frames. Like, how do you time walk? Well, you time walk by understanding that this gentleman, this lady had to go 70 years before they could write these concepts, these principles, these precepts down. But I can actually read that in seven hours and have a handle and insight in that, which would then inform my foresight going forward. So my dad, first and foremost, I believe with my belief that coaching is the fastest path to success was my first coach. He was my coach before I knew what a coach was. He was my coach before I ever paid for a coach. He was my coach before I ever knew you could have a coach because my dad would consistently and constantly pour like adages, metaphors, principles, like similes. He'd always share with us stuff as a young man. And I think that's because like I'm one of four sons. So I think when a man has multiple little men that he's trying to prepare for the real world, like he, he he does his best to do so. And I feel, I feel like that's how my dad did his best to do so by literally teaching us principles, teaching us a whole bunch of principles as very young people, teaching us that there's one adage my dad always used to say, which I, I'll share with you just to give you a flavor. Mm -hmm. He used to say, if you do not work in the day when everybody's sleeping, you have to work in the night. Mm -hmm. You know, now when you're six years old, five years old, and you're getting, you're getting injected with that stuff, like... <laughs> Like, it's, there's only so far you're going to go, right? Because you, you're right. definitely going to be an introspective thinker because of the fact that you're being given what I would call the good stuff. Like, you're being told the right stuff. Now, as I shared, and maybe this is a, a big kind of um, caveat to the parents out there who are listening to this, like, that doesn't mean the child can't go astray. Like, I went astray. Like, I heard all of this information, all of these principles, and I still went astray. Why? Because you have to be able to assimilate and deal with these principles. You know, head knowledge is great, but head knowledge doesn't pay the bills. And this is, and this is what I learned studying for four degrees. Like I tell mm. many of my coaching clients right now, like I have studied four degrees, but not one of those degrees wakes me up on the morning and says, hey, Samuel, you don't have to go to work this year. I'm going to bring you 50K. You can, you can just stay in. Like, it doesn't happen. That That's why right. does it happen? It doesn't happen because head knowledge, knowledge on its own, doesn't pay the bills. So the first, the first kind of light bulb for me around coaching and the epiphanies about the skill set and, and tool set that I had, I would say came from the fact that I saw my dad and how my dad disseminated this information to me. So mm. having my dad share parables, adages, like in that way as a youth already woke me up to the fact that, okay, you can condense concepts and ideas in short stories. You can condense concepts and ideas in adages, in parables, in mm. ways that you can share it succinctly, but people yeah. can unpack that for days or unpack that for weeks and years. So that was the first mm. thing. The second time I, I can say I had a big light bulb moment was literally, I would say the first time I heavily invested in coaching because... Mm. Again, what many people don't realize is, you know, you, we, we live in a world where a lot of people are looking for the cheapest thing, okay? And I, I never knew this until I became a secondary school teacher and realized where everybody gets that from. Like, mm. you, like many of us think we just think like that. No, we don't think like that. We've been engineered to think like that because wow. the school system 
the curriculum has embedded in it the cheapskate mentality. All right. Mm. Now, someone might be saying, no, Samuel, I didn't learn to be a cheapskate in school. Okay. Well, as a maths teacher, what I know is embedded throughout the curriculum are questions which we, we what we would call them as teachers is best buy questions. All right. Mm. So here's a key example of a best buy question. All right. Mm. So during the lockdown, right, there was there was no toilet roll. So let's use toilet roll as an example. Right. right. So you got three rolls of toilet roll for three pounds. And then you've got two rows of toilet roll for three pound. And in a typical mass question, they would say, which is the best deal? Mm -hmm. And nine times out of 10, the teacher, the manufacturer of the book, the, the syllabus, everybody wants you to say, well, the free for three pound is the best deal mm -hmm. because I pay the same price and I get more. Mm. You see, I used to believe that, David. Mm. I used to teach that, David. Until one day I sat down and paid tens of thousands of pounds to go on a coaching program and realized something very simple. I realized that the free rolls of toilet roll could literally be tracing paper. <laughs> and I realized that, listen, it's got nothing to do with the price when you make a decision. It's got everything to do with the value. And that's mm. one of the big things that helped me understand about my gift. Because for many people, I submit to you, David, they're not living in their fullest purpose because they're so fixated on the price. What's it what mm. it's gonna cost them? What's it what it's gonna cost them to jog to, as Jim Rohn would say, to walk around the block? What it's gonna cost them to eat an apple a day? What it's gonna cost them for them to think a different way? What it's gonna cost them to read a book a day? What like what it's going to cost has been so ingrained into our mind through our school system, through mainstream media, through music, through all of the mainstream media sources that we have a world of people who are literally just thinking, what's it going to cost me? But what they don't realize is the people who are at the highest level of success in any arena, I can say that again, in any arena, mm -hmm. there's one thing that is synonymous with all of them. They all have a coach. Mm -hmm. And here's the interesting thing. They will pay the coach. So it's got nothing to do with the cost because not to be too explicit, but I don't want to use tracing paper. So mm -hmm. I'll pay the three pound, get the two rolls and use that luxury paper rather go. than use tracing paper because it's not about what it's going to cost me. It's about the value of it to me. Mm. Bars, gems, gold, man, that was fire, brother. Like, wow. Um, so uh, can you take me through, back to the principle your dad shared. If you don't work in the day, you're going to have to, you'll work, have to, work, sleep you have to work in the night, right? There's a development process. Once you've, now you got this gift, you, you see it, you're able to introspect, introspectively see how you can help others. And you're now, I'm assuming because of the collapsing, the timeframes, you're reading books, you're, you're, you're developing yourself. You're, high, you're paying for coaching. Talk to us about that development phase to become the expert in your field that you are and the, the development both personally and professionally. Because a lot of times people see the they see the success, but they don't see the what the roots that you've been doing, the, the stuff, the, the work in the dark where nobody's mm. watching. Mm. Can you talk about that? That's powerful. So. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about it in a way that maybe is a bit counterintuitive, but I think it would be really helpful for some of the people. So, when I was young, when I was going to secondary school, I shared about my mum not being home. So, like we all know the a a analogy of Clark Kent and Superman, right? So Clark Kent is some you know, not to be too rude, but some lame old reporter by day. But at nighttime, if you're if you're old school like me, he jumps into the phone booth spins around and becomes Superman, right? Yeah. So as a young child, like in my mind, that's who I was. So mm. in my mind, I would go to school and be as well behaved as I could because they had the power to phone my parents. They had the power to, they knew where I lived, etc. But outside of school, I was, I was a completely different person. Mm. So when I was young, outside of school, I started by being someone who was selling drugs, for example. Mm -hmm. And that then progressed 
by the age of maybe 13, 14 into getting involved with dubious fraud and stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. Which is what later led me to being incarcerated. Mm -hmm. So fast forward now to making a decision to devote my life to the things of God and to literally go full steam ahead and live out my purpose, I start realizing stuff. I start realizing that the very same way that I was the Clark Kent, but also some form of a Superman, is the very same way that I could develop my skills in the dark, as you've said. Mm -hmm. So what I was doing is I went to do the conventional thing because that's what my mom told me to do. That's what my dad told me to do. And I thought at that time, I didn't, I, I didn't know that I was going to be able to use real estate to replace my wife's income, replace my income, use property to be able to create legacy, create lifestyle, create leverage. I didn't know this at that time. Mm -hmm. So I'm just saying to myself, God, I'm devoting my life to you. I'm going to do your thing. And the only natural, like I said, the, the spirit, the soul, the body, the only natural kind of conceptual idea I have about living is go to school, get a good job. So I went right. to school harder than most. That's how I ended up doing the four degrees. Not because I thought, it, you know, oh, I want four degrees. No, it's because if I'm supposed to go to school to get a good job, I'm really going to school. That was mm. my fault. So I went to study my first degree. And outside of studying my first degree, I was learning creative, what I call creative property investing strategies. I was learning mm. how to invest in property using little or none of your own money because I didn't have any money. How to invest in property using other people's money and then the third concept to creative property strategies is how to create better returns for people on their money. So I was learning that outside of my formal degrees. So I did my first degree whilst learning creative property strategies. And you've got to bear in mind, just before I went into that degree, I had worked as an estate agent. So I had, again, got a strong appetite for this real estate, this property. And, oh, this thing works. Oh, there's these people with just like four properties. And that's their, that's their whole thing. Like, right. And that, that used to bug me. But what I would also realize is the majority of people who were doing this property thing had no idea what they were doing. And the mm. reason why is because they don't teach it in school. That's right. So I did my first degree studying creative property strategies outside. And then I started to get active in property outside whilst doing all my other degrees. And then you asked the question earlier, and I guess this, this now segues into the answer. How was I actively using these skills in a, in a maybe in, in, in a, in a different reverse way well i ended up becoming a teacher i ended up saying look i want to give back to inner city schools i want to help young black boys young black girls who are on the same path that i was on mm. to basically be able to course correct before they end up in some of the places i ended up wow. so because that was my mentality to give back in that way I became a school teacher and that's why I studied my third degree to qualify to become a teacher. So I then started working in these schools, but all the while whilst I was working in these schools, I'm doing property deals outside casually. Mm -hmm. And it was literally the balancing act of that, that when I got married in 2012, my wife basically said to me, Samuel, don't you think you would be able to have a greater impact on these young people if you were an example of what they could be? Wow. That's out. And, and and David, I'm, I'm going to say this. It was powerful. It is powerful. But I think for me, what was the most powerful aspect of it was the fact that all my wife was actually doing at that point is unlocking my purpose. Because mm. I already knew I was not supposed to be a conventional school teacher. Like I was mm. just being a conventional school teacher because I believe from what God has shown me, I was supposed to help people through means of ministry. And in my mind, it was like, well, I don't want to be a pastor who asks people for money. I don't want to be a minister who asks people for money. So let me go become a teacher because I'll develop my skill of being a minister. And then whilst I develop my skill and get paid, I can work out the other stuff. And I feel like the Lord was kind of saying to me like, bro, you're just lying to yourself. You just, you're just lying to yourself. You're just trying to make your life easy for yourself by getting this, this simple job, paying you 47,000 a year and making you feel like, you know, you're doing the right. You know what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be changing lives. You're supposed to be creating impact. You're supposed to be helping people to navigate their life at a whole new level because they look at you and say, hold on a minute. If this guy was in prison at the age of 18 and he can do it, how can I not do it? Mm. So I felt like my wife was literally just unlocking me to be who I really was on the inside. Dude, wow. Powerful, powerful, powerful um, story and powerful woman that you have in your life. Powerful Thank wife you. you have. The power of the right 
wife or the right person in your life can change everything that's right um so so wow okay so talk take me through the first the first deal the first property and what what's and then how does it go from that one to the next one and the next one that's a great that's a great question so the first property is an interesting question right because mm -hmm. there's the first property then there's the first property then there's the first property now i know for some of the people they're going to be like what how can it be free first well let me tell you how they can be free first like you can have your first date and realize i don't want to date anymore then you can have your first courtship and realize i i want to get married and then you can have your marriage like the bible says the wife of your youth like your first marriage and realize this is the thing i'm living in this for the rest of my life mm. so with real estate it's like that as well and I, i'll give you an example so the first property my wife and i bought when we did the numbers on that property we were literally making like 200 to 300 pounds again you can just literally call it dollars per month mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's what most people do with real estate most people buy a property, generate 100 to 200 a month, and they're like, okay, cool, we're, we're doing this thing. Now, I knew because of all of the hours and years I'd put into researching creative property investing that that was not doing this thing. I understood mm. that the key to real estate, like if I break it down, there are only three types of money you can make in property. And this is, this is a lesson I teach my coaching students, and most people have never heard of this, but if you don't understand this foundation, you must be doing it wrong, right? So this is why this foundation is so key. So there's only three types of money you can make in property. The first one is known as equity, right? So equity, I'll give you an example. In 2017, one of the properties my beautiful wife and I bought was valued at 240,000 pounds, right? That was the valuation from an appraiser in the US or in the UK, a Rick's mm -hmm. surveyor, right? So a few mm -hmm. months after it got appraised and it got that survey, we bought it for 136,000. So that's over mm. 100,000 of a discount, right? So mm. the great thing about that is if you do that same transaction 10 times in a year, you become a millionaire, mm. right? Because you got 100K yeah. each time, that's that your, your millionaire status. Now here's the challenge. Mm -hmm. You're an equity millionaire. Mm. Because what most people don't realize is equity is money stuck in bricks, which means mm. I can't take that money Go to an Aston Martin showroom and buy a new DB11 tomorrow. That mm. money's stuck in bricks. So that's equity. That's one of the three types of money you can make in property. Now, the second right. type of money you can make in property is called profits. Now, here's the interesting mm. thing. Let's say we buy a house for a hundred thousand. Okay, we buy a house mm. for a hundred thousand, and we don't have hundred pound notes in the UK. So I'll, I'll use dollars to give to illustrate mm -hmm. this. So let's say I buy a house for a hundred thousand, and mm. let's say after I buy that house. I renovate, I take the garage, I turn the garage into a bedroom. And let's say mm -hmm. that cost me 20,000 to do. So mm -hmm. I've used 100,000 to buy, 20,000 to renovate. So I'm all in at 120, right? Mm -hmm. Now let's say I sell that property for 150, okay? Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna ask you, David, like what's my profit before I have to pay tax? Uh, 25. It's a bit more, it's a bit more, it's uh, 30, right? So oh, I'm, 30. One, I'm oh, okay. 120 in. I'm oh, 120 and I sell for for 150. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. Right, yep. Cool. Right. So right. so my profit is 30,000, right? Mm -hmm. Now, here's the interesting thing. If I want to replace my income, the problem with a profit is it is a one-time liquidated revenue, which means mm -hmm. I will never ever ever make another pound or dollar or cent from that property again. Cuz it's right. gone. I had to sell it to liquidate the revenue, right? That's right. So now the third type of money, which is my favorite, is known as cash flow. So the way I define it is cash flow is the residual recurring revenue that you and I have at our disposal. Mm -hmm. So cash flow is the money that keeps on coming. So the right. question I usually ask my coaching class is this. If you are trying to replace your income, which comes in every single month, or if you're 60 years young or older and you're trying to create a real pension, which of these three is the best to do that? Cash it becomes flow. simple. Cash flow is the answer. So mm -hmm. the problem for most people where most property investors go wrong is most property investors are out here, even many people that have been on courses, they're out here trying to get a house with a 50,000 pound discount the minute they buy. They're trying to sell that house in 10 years, five years for a 200,000 profit. And they're trying to make a thousand every single month on that property. Now here's mm -hmm. the problem with that in life. 
whenever we lack focus, we lack tangible results. Mm. So when you know that there's three, someone trying to focus on all three things at once, they're creating confusion and confusion right. creates an illusion and that illusion creates procrastination. Woo. So what we have Good. to do is we have to get laser focused on the one type of revenue that's ideal for us at that stage of our journey. And I mm -hmm. submit to you that for 90% of people, that's cash flow. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I say the first, the first, the first property, that was the first property we ever got where we realized, hold on, it's only 200 pounds a month. And we said, no, no, this can't work. We'll need 30 of these to replace our income. So mm -hmm. then we started looking at tapping into the creative strategies. And then there was the first property we ever sold to other people. Cause that's like, that's a trade deal. Like in, in the U S you guys call it wholesaling right. in the UK, we call it property sourcing. So mm. it's the same thing. But what we did is we were able to structure a deal where we knew this property was going to make a lot of money and we were able to sell it onto someone else. But here's the thing that we did, which was different. And most people probably ain't even heard of this because I understood the three types of money you can make in property. I didn't sell the deal for a fixed profit. Instead, I sold the deal because I knew it was a maximum cash flow creator for residual revenue. Mm. I sold that deal onto someone else and said, listen, every single month, you're going to pay us this percent of the revenue based on the fact that we found you this great deal. Mm. Seller so financing? We, no, it's, it's not seller financing because we oh, never okay. the property in the first place. Oh, wow. Okay. So, we, so again, think of it as like, if you, if you want to get technical, think of it as yeah. a wholesaling deal where rather than charging a fee, we charge a, a residual fee. Mm. So that's what we did. And again, wow. this just comes out of creativity. Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God created. And I'm a strong believer that we are made in the image of God. So right. I teach my students to get creative. And this is what we do. So that's one of our creative wholesaling or property sourcing deals. So that was the first sourcing deal we did. Yeah. I shared with you the first property we bought. And now another deal to give you an example of is the first high cash flow deal we took on ourselves. Now this deal was great because we didn't own the property. So what we did is we contractually agreed with the owner of the property that we will take full control of the property and pay them a fixed fee every single month. Mm. Now, straight after we agreed that, we then made modifications to the property that we made them aware of. We invested our own money to do that. But then because we had made those modifications, we were able to rent the property at a substantially higher revenue rate. So just mm. to give you some numbers, we were paying 2,300 every month to the landlord of the property, but we were generating 4,400 every single month on the property. And it's a property mm. we don't even own. So wow. when you're paying 2,300 to a landlord, when you're paying seven, 800 pounds in bills and you're walking away with 1,200, 1,300 from a property you don't even own, you can very quickly see how you don't need 30 of these properties to replace your income. You only mm. now need three four or five, or if you're on six figures, maybe seven at best. Wow. Genius, brother. Some strategies I've never heard. I, I, I know a lot of people in the real estate space. That's, that is really, really unique and creative, man. And, and so uh, that kind of brings me to um, about your, your offering and, and, and we believe in distribution. The last part of the process of purpose is distribution, which is implied, you know, in the parable of the talents, the one that had one, the one that had two and the one that had five, God doesn't say this in the word, but it's implied. And you said it earlier with your gift that you are to put that gift out there, distribute yeah. it. Nobody get can if if my if your gift is teaching and if you just teach yourself, it's not of yeah. it's not of it's value, but it's not of value to the world. That's so right. the a gift is that's not shared is selfish. So mm. how can people learn about? your gift and learn about your community some they, somebody may be intrigued by some of the strategies you shared um and how can they learn about what you do and and take advantage of that that's powerful so you know there's multiple ways one of the simplest ways is literally just booking a call like we do strategy calls they're currently at five thousand four hundred and ninety five pounds for a 60-minute strategy call if someone wants us to dig deep into their own personal situation and help them find out how they can generate an additional 55,000 pounds on their property portfolio in the next 12 months. But one of the things we've found is exactly what you said, David, that in order to really distribute this value 
to multiple people in a scalable fashion where many people can get the value from it, we decided to create a challenge. So we have a five day challenge, the cash flow creation challenge. And on the cash flow creation challenge, we literally take people from A to Z in their cash flow creation. We show them day one, the science of cash flow creation, day two, the strategies, like it's some of the strategies you just said you've never heard anywhere else. It's interesting because we, we've had students from Ohio in the US. We've had students from New York in the US. We've had students from um, France. We've had students in Canada. We've had students in Africa, Nigeria. We've had wow. obviously multiple students in the UK. And many of these students, one of the biggest things they all say when they get to around day three is, Samuel, you're teaching us stuff I've never heard before in the real estate space. And we've got students who have literally paid over 30,000 pounds on their development with other coaches in the real estate space who are literally like mind blown by the time we go to day two and cover wow. cash flow creation strategies. So we don't have day three cash flow creation skills where I literally outline the skills people need. Day four, my wife teaches, we have cash flow creation systems. We break down all the systems that you need in order to succeed. And then on day five, we have cash flow creation success. So this, like our cash flow creation challenge is really made for people who are in two different camps. So one camp is, Samuel, I've been doing property for a while. I've got five, maybe four, six, seven, eight, around that many properties. And I'm in the position that you spoke about. I'm making 200, 300 per month from these properties. And I don't know if they're really gonna ever replace my income like this. I'm gonna need 20 or 20, 20 something to do that. So the challenge is made for those people. Because what mm. we help them to do is understand how they can create colossal cash flow using the resources and revenues that are literally hidden in plain sight. Now, the second group of people are people who are kind of more early stage. These are people that maybe they got their first property, maybe they got no property, but they're right. saying to themselves, I know properties for me, but I need to have the right foundation. So they're the two groups of people that we literally serve. And we find both of those groups of people are the people that when they come into our challenge, they produce the highest level of success within those five days. And they literally are able to skyrocket and either create consistent if they're in the second group or colossal if they're in the first group results in terms of their cash flow by going on our cash flow creation challenge. Wow, that's gold. I love that. What so what's the what's the link again? They can get that at www.cashflowcreationchallenge.com. Cashflowcreationchallenge.com. We'll plug that in the show notes. Awesome. Um Sam, man, I'm I've been so blessed by our conversation. There's one one last question that we ask all guests. Uh, you weren't prepped on this, That's uh, right. and 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 it it kind of correlates into what you shared about your dominant gift. But what what is the difference between one's gift and one's purpose? One's That's gift right. and one's purpose. That's powerful. That is so powerful. So I don't know if you've ever heard this answer before. I assume you haven't. Mm -hmm. you haven't had a, had me on before, but. I would say the difference between a gift and a purpose is a gift is something that's given to you and a purpose is something we refine. You mm. see, in order to refine yeah. anything, yeah, and, that, and that's real. And in order for us to refine anything, we must first define that thing. You see, what most people do in life is they think their purpose is something they're just going to find. They don't realize they have to first define before they can find. And then when you define, it's easier to refine. So mm -hmm. for me, like I shared earlier, I defined, I understood there's something about property. Now, because I was still a bit vague about it, you know what I did? I took a step into the world. I, I started to tap into the sea of the ABCs of success that I mentioned earlier. I started to be mm -hmm. courageous, say, let me go get a job in the real estate space. Let me get a job in the property space and just see it from a different angle. Maybe I'm going to see something I can't see with the angle I'm looking at from this lens now. So right. because I had defined that property was a piece of my purpose, I started getting into it. The next mm. thing was teaching. I had defined that teaching was for me, but I didn't know it was at the capacity that where now I've helped thousands of people through means of my networking events over the years. I've helped hundreds of people through means of our coaching programs. Like now, because I defined teaching, what I was able to do is say, okay, let me go and become an actual teacher in a school. I was mm. able to start refining that and start realizing, mm. hold on, this, this conventional education thing, this ain't the thing, right. you know? So I think the key is, understanding that a gift is something that we are given. That might be the skills that you naturally have within you. Like I was given the gift to teach. I know mm -hmm. that. But mm -hmm. at the same time, for it to manifest as my purpose, I need to refine that gift in order for it to become my purpose. Mm. So for me, the difference between a gift and a purpose is a gift is given and a mm. purpose is defined and then refined. Dude, 
I've never heard that. That's dope. Defined and refined. Wow. Thank you so much, Samuel, for blessing the people on today's show. Uh, I already know this is one of those episodes. They, you drop so much wisdom. They're going to need to watch this multiple, multiple times to really unpack what you really shared with them. Um, again, we'll plug everything in the notes. Thank you again, brother, for being on the show. You're welcome. And thank you for the invitation. It's been a pleasure and a blessing. Awesome, brother. <laughs> I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Dear listener, I would like to thank you so much for listening to How I Discover My Gift with yours truly, David D. Simons. As a token of my appreciation, I would love to give to you my most important piece of work to date, and it's called the Purpose Gift Tape. It's a motivational mixtape geared towards helping you to identify your gifts, which ultimately lead to you discovering your purpose. This is a six-track album poured my heart and soul into it includes beautiful beats and amazing spoken word over it and i'd love to give that to you as a free gift as a token of my appreciation for being a part of the community so to get your copy all you need to do is go to podcast.daviddsimons.com that's podcast.david the middle initial d simons s-i-m-o-n-s dot com and get yours today. Thank you for being a listener. I'll catch you on the next episode. How I Discover My Gift with David D. Simons is proud to be of the amazing and illustrious Alive Podcast Network.